Hi, everyone. You're listening to In the Open, a podcast by Mental Health America, where we talk all things mental health related. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Teresa. Today, I have a guest with us. America's not here. Our guest is Kelly. Kelly, do you want to tell people who you are? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Davis. I work in MHA's national office on peer support and youth and young adult leadership, and I'm a person with lived experience of a bunch of things, including trauma, which we're going to be talking about today. (laughs) Yeah. So today's topic is just around like, I don't feel safe. I'd say that you and I are both survivors of childhood and life trauma. So trauma is something that comes up a lot in our screening and people are survivors of trauma. And when I say like, I don't feel safe, what comes to your mind? I think a few things come to my mind. First is just the physical anxiety I want to jump out of my skin and it feels like there's nowhere for me to hide. Mm -hmm. Which so I think that I think about the physical sensation, but then I also think about how people respond when you say something like that by telling you that you are safe and you should feel safe, which I think is different at different times, right? There's been periods of my life where I'm literally not safe Mm -hmm. and my feelings reflect the fact that I'm not safe. And then there's been post-trauma where the feeling gets stuck and won't go away. So those are those are my initial reactions. It's funny because I definitely went first to the physical as well. Like I was like, oh, feeling choky, mm-hmm. <clears throat> feeling and, and you said anxiety, but I and it is anxiety when you feel choked mm-hmm. and paralyzed and not feeling safe. And I, maybe it says something about the way that our traumatic experiences, like why is it that those visceral physical feelings are so strong that they're the first thing our brains go to and not the emotion? Whereas other other times I feel like emotions are like the strongest experience, right? Like what is it about mm-hmm. safety that where you're like, oh, the physical, the physiological responses are so, they're your warning signs for me. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, if I, when I feel this way, like it also becomes like a it's like, hey, you've been here before. Don't want to be here again. It also makes me think about the dissociative problems that I deal with and have dealt with where my body has a threshold where if I feel too unsafe or unsafe for too long, my sense of reality collapses and my body's shifts into reject reality and none of this is real, numb out completely. And I think that, you know, as somebody in sobriety, a lot of the ways it showed up when I was deep in my eating disorder or issues with drinking was those were ways that I numbed the feeling. And without those, my body figured out how to numb itself from the inside without any external external action. So I think too, part of how I've learned to relate to it is this is the only way my body knows to keep me safe. And it's really hard to deal with, but it's also crazy that it's just in our DNA to try to protect ourselves so much. Yeah. 
I don't know if you experience this with like the weird, all the physiological experiences, but it's a bit of a, you love it and you hate it. You're like, I hate that I lost track of time or I can't recall a conversation. That's the one that makes me the most mad when I, when, mm-hmm. when you talk about dissociating and like, mm-hmm. because inevitably post a conversation or something happening, somebody will be like, well, what happened? And they'll want to ask you all these details about mm-hmm. your safe situation mm-hmm. and ask you to recall it for like freaking proof or some crap. And you're like, I don't mm-hmm. literally know. Mm-hmm. My brain said goodbye. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that when you're in really unsafe situations, a lot of times the people around you or the people who are making you unsafe already deny it. So it's even more disorienting when you can't point it out yourself. One of the other things is I was, and I don't, it's so funny that all of the different, for me, all of the different diagnoses seem to blend together because one of the frameworks that I have now that I was diagnosed with OCD is compulsively trying to remember things and having this sense that there's something bad that happened that I don't remember. And it's weird to think about how that was literally true, right? I mean, there are bad things that I don't remember, but it was in a lot of ways good on my brain to help me forget them. That's definitely something that has stuck around and just turned into how my brain and body operate, which is, I think also happens a lot when you have either one really unsafe or traumatic experience or have like prolonged experience, whether that's abuse in your house or being in an abusive relationship or things like that. If we had talked, um, in another episode with Kevin about, you know, how many diagnoses can I have? Mm -hmm. And I feel like as a trauma survivor, we do often feel like we have all of them because, Mm -hmm. and I I love that you tied that to your like seeking safety behaviors because I I think a lot of OCD tendencies are around seeking safety. And like we, we do weird things like um, I used to set up barriers to just like, if it moved, then I knew that my physical space was invaded weird crap right and like mm-hmm. i had i had clients who did the same thing basically setting up like things around their room so that it would give them pre-warning if somebody came into their house and it for someone who doesn't know what it feels like to not feel safe like mm-hmm. those behaviors look strange but for us it's like well this is the only way for me to feel safe mm-hmm. enough to feel calm so that my body mm-hmm. can literally not be stressed. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to just break it down for people because I think there are a lot of young people who come onto the internet and they're in abusive situations. Like, What are some of your red flags for you now as someone recovering? Mm-hmm. You like look back and you're like, okay, those were the those were the other physiological responses that made me know that something was not safe or maybe it was also emotional, but like Mm -hmm. how, how could you tell that a situation was not safe? I think one of the things that happened that has actually been something that stuck with me is my brain would go white during conflict and I would just completely freeze and I think my body would, my body and my mind would basically lose their ability to respond. And all I could do, all it felt like I could do was accept the 
reality that the other person was putting on me. And I think one of the big signs of that is when also you're having that response and the person who's doing it to you will take no responsibility for what's happening. I think when we're talking about like, um, like dating violence and that kind of stuff, if you're in a situation where you feel like physically terrorized and like, it's still all your fault at the same time, that's a big warning sign. Because I think when you're, when you grow up with trauma, when you have um, repeated incidents of trauma, or are in like an unsafe ongoing situation, it just becomes so normal for you that it's just your expectation and how you understand the world. And I think that that also is like one of the um, big signs for me where it's if somebody is not willing to, if somebody demands complete control over reality and you don't get a say or um, to share your perspective, I think that that's also an indication that, you're in, um, you might be in an, an unsafe <laughs> relationship. Relationship. Yeah. yeah. We, we have to spend a decent amount of time, I think, talking about this. But let's start with just what you said about feeling unsafe, feeling fear. I, I think the fear, and it's weird because what I heard you say too, though, is that you feel fear, but you also have this thing where you can't trust your own sense of fear because maybe you also know that you're afraid of everything. <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm afraid of relationships, but I found this person who really loves me and they seem to be really great. But then they turn and then you can't trust, like, am I feeling fear like I did when I was a kid or is something going on? And when they start to gaslight you, then you're like, oh, my gosh, this is just so confusing. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, that, but that initial fear now that you're healthier, I'll just say this, like now that you're healthier and you know you're not going to put yourself in bad relationships, is it that fear that you initially feel where you are more in tune with how better to not put yourself back in there that that's like the first red flag? Yeah. I mean, it's really weird because first of all, the one thing that created so much healing in my life was when I saw the statistics about how common it is for if you experienced early childhood trauma, for you to experience repeated trauma throughout your life. I was like, I have all these traumas, I must be making them up or doing something wrong. So I think that that's important for people to, uh, people to know is that it's actually more common for you to experience trauma later. I think the other part too, is that it feels like in a non-scientific way, how I talk about my own experience, that it like broke my brain a little bit where I would still miscategorize unsafe people as safe or safe people as unsafe. It can be really scary. And the way that I dealt with it for a long time was just to completely disengage because I had such little trust in my ability to guess because I felt like I always guessed wrong and my gut would give me mixed signals. Yeah. And I think that's what's screwy about the word safety, because I could love someone so much and feel and if I if you had asked me like do you feel safe with this person who hurts you I would say yes I feel safe with this person mm -hmm. who hurts you but mm -hmm. if you had asked me do you feel afraid of this person mm -hmm. I would have absolutely also said, yes, I feel afraid of that person. <laughs> and the fact that I would feel afraid in a relationship 
to me is like such a red flag. Like I now know like I should not feel fear. Like I can feel a lot of other big feelings. I could feel angry. In fact, mm-hmm. feeling angry is a sign that it's a healthy thing because anger has power. Like that mm-hmm. means that I can feel mad at you because you've done something wrong. But the fact that if I now that's why I bring this back to the word fear, because I'm like, mm-hmm. like we remember what it feels like to be afraid in our own homes, in, in our own situations. And I think it's we understand what it means to feel fear, right? Like, mm-hmm. and when I have felt fear in a relationship, it's easier for me to understand that feeling fear in a bad relationship is probably a bad thing. Like, but you can't ask me like, oh, is that a safe situation? I'm like, I don't freaking know. Because, yeah, yeah, your safety calibration is off. <laughs> and yeah. You're like way <laughs> capable of being in a lot of really unsafe situations because you've been pretty accustomed to being like abused, basically, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think too. There's, uh, right. There's emotional safety. There's physical safety, and I think too. One of the things that resonate is also like not feeling like you have a safe place to express what's happening, because I think trauma or not, especially when you're struggling with your mental health, right? Like when I heard heard voices, I was not going to tell anybody because I didn't feel like I had a safe space to let it out either. So I feel like it can also be like, you know, you're in an unsafe situation, but then you don't also have like a space to let it out. Share it. Yeah. yeah. People do have fear of like the failure of, of a situation or mm-hmm. the fear of being alone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think a lot of that fear is normal, but to say like, well, I'm scared of what that person is going to say back to me. Mm-hmm. Like we know what that feels like to feel um, that maybe our parents are unsafe because like you might say something to them and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, you're not you're not safe or healthy because you're not validating or listening to what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. In fact, you're kind Mm -hmm. of pushing back judgment at me. Mm -hmm. And and then in relationships, I, I think, gosh, you know, like in like really bad emotionally abusive or relationships where you're like you feel that dread. As you're about to share something, even sometimes positive, like you're afraid to share something positive or negative because you're pretty much like certain that what that person says back to you is going to somehow be horribly hurtful, but also confusing Mm -hmm. because you're not really Mm -hmm. even sure how or Mm -hmm. why it was hurtful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the other part, too, that's also confusing about all of this is this idea that we also have to trust other people to like restore safety even therapy, right? The idea that you've been horribly treated interpersonally and now you have to go tell somebody about it is so scary. <laughs> this is why it bothers. I mean, as a therapist, I even think it's just like, <laughs> no, that's that's awful. It's awful. And like, and they have this, and then therapy has this expectation that you're supposed to like just start spilling your guts mm-hmm. like right away or something like that. Without mm-hmm. and and it, and there's no responsibility of the therapist to create a safe space is like mm-hmm. wild to my mind, right? Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, if you're going to therapy for the first time, you've never shared your intimate details, like you're not going to feel safe. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't know that person from John because literally they're just a stranger. Yeah, I think I think to that point though, it's right. Still sticking to this like relational thing, it's part of. One sign that I'm going, one sign or behavior that I always engaged in is 
when I find the wrong people to trust, I immediately share everything and go all in. Um, and I really? think <laughs> now that I'm so more definitely happens less <laughs> that I'm not an active alcoholic. Um, but I think that part of it is safety, having an understanding that safety is something that's built over time is also really important, right? Whether you're right, like I'm going to a therapist, like that point, I go to a therapist for the first time. And my expectation is that this person thinks I'm going to tell them everything about me, but it's actually normal for you to have to like, you have to have ongoing safe interactions with somebody. And like, that's part of, I think, healing in relationship with other people, because if you've always felt unsafe, then I think that's like, that's part of the healing is like learning that like you can slowly feel safe with other people over time. And just because you don't immediately feel safe um, doesn't mean what you should do what I did, which is like push everybody away and just not risk any of it. Yeah, that does not mean that therapy itself is is inherently a bad thing. If you can't Mm -hmm. learn to trust, like we definitely can. I want to go back to what you said though. When I said Mm -hmm. really, because you said there are some there were times where you would like miscalibrate safety safe relationships, and you'd end up Mm -hmm. spilling your guts to people who probably were not safe. Mm -hmm. I mostly shut out. So when you talk about like avoidance and like Mm -hmm. not just not engaging and not that's my mo. Like I don't. Mm I'm a trauma bond with nobody. (laughs) But this is the thing with that kind of situation. I think you get pushed to a limit where you feel so alone and so desperate Mm -hmm. that that's why you do that. Yeah. I mean, I know in learning about the idea of complex PTSD, this sense of being alien or different is really common in people with pervasive and repeated trauma growing up. So I think once you find somebody else where you can see, like, I think you spend so much time, I'm like going to get emotional. Um, I think you spend so much time trying to like hold it together and keep it close and like build this persona and this wall. And when you there's some movie where they talk about a fisherman always sees another fisherman when like I would spot that in somebody else, my brain would like immediately recognize it. And sometimes with alcohol, especially it would get a little out of control. Yeah. In our need to connect or just feel less alone in this like really sort of screwed up situation. Cause I think you also just like are like, I think there are a lot of questions you ask in your own brain where your brain has whether or not your brain has created its own safety, which is this mind Mm -hmm. trick where you're like, is what I am experiencing actually awful or Mm -hmm. is it super common? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And both things, both answers are horribly screwed up because then it also means that either you're you are alone and you're weird or it means that the world is a horrible place. Well, I think that's a big thing, though, is just because something's normal in your world or in your life doesn't mean that it's not painful for you or that you can choose or find a way towards something else. I think that that's a huge thing where, for example, talking about sexual trauma, I've had, I've had an experience where I disclosed to somebody and they were like, well, yeah, that happens to every woman. Like, it's not a big deal. And just because women are raped and sexually assaulted all the time doesn't mean that it's not devastating when it happens to you. 
I am 100% positive that every single person who has had an experience of abuse has disclosed it and had at least one person in their life say something dismissive like that. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much in that moment that extra does not feel safe, which is why we've been trained, I think, to avoid or to to suppress our experiences and our needs and mm-hmm. all of that to the point of detriment. Well, I think and then that's the added, what is wrong with me? Everybody deals with this. The world's awful on one point, to your point. But also, there still must be something broken about me if this is happening to everybody and everybody can just get over it. Yeah. Like, I don't feel safe and these situations feel scary. Why does everybody else seem to bounce back so well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what? Mm-hmm. how do we answer that? It's a... I do think that the only answer there is that when people are dismissive, it's because they have not experienced the kind of trauma that you have experienced. I or think because because people dismiss them. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. I've had people who've experienced some pretty horrible trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. So then it's a coping <laughs> skill for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that processing your safety and processing your fear and processing your trauma is a process. Mm-hmm. It's lifelong. Uh, I think we've said something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It doesn't end, y'all. It does get better, though. Do you, would you say For you're sure. in a better place? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I tell our listeners, I, I definitely feel so grateful that I'm in a better place today than I was like 20 years ago. But I feel like we touched on a, a couple of things here. What What sticks out to you? I think that point was really powerful for me is if you disclose and someone dismisses you, it has nothing to do with your value as a person or what happened to you. And it doesn't mean what, what happened to you, right. Is your, and your response to it is valid. I mean, we're in, I think, Across cultures, people don't like to acknowledge the horrible things that happen, especially when they're in families, right? So, you know, just because somebody dismisses you doesn't mean what you're experiencing is not real. Um, And even if it happens to 10% or 20% or however percent of how many people out there, it's still valid and real for you and you deserve space to heal and process and learn to feel safe over time, however that feels or looks like for you. Yeah. You're not at fault. You're not at blame. You're not broken because of the Mm -hmm. situations that you've been in. And you're not responsible for the way that people react to you, like that's on them, you know, Mm -hmm. but we do, we do take on a lot of those responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Like we, we say something must be wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Um, Well, I, I think just on that point, I think that's why the peer support and peer um, and like reading stories is so important because people in your life might deny what happened to you or you might not feel like you can connect with them but there are there are other people out there whether they're in your life whether it's a support group whether it's a forum or whatever who have felt similar things and had similar experiences and they I think are totally willing to validate and hear you yeah something that stuck out to me was it's hard to figure out labels or like how to understand whether or not you're safe 
But one thing I feel like is fairly certain is that I shouldn't be afraid of a person. Now I'm thinking back and like going, oh yeah, like in my healthy relationships, I don't feel visceral fear of that person. And that's a good sign to me that I'm going the right direction. Mm -hmm. And then like when I feel fear, like that visceral reactive fear in relationship, it's probably a good red flag that I should get out. <laughs> Let's talk about peer support um, because I think there are a lot of informal systems where people go to to seek support. Do you have a go-to place where you refer people to mm -hmm. who are trying to um, find a peer network or support? I mean, the place that I refer people to most the idea of what peer is depends on the person, right? Who you relate to and who you feel a sense of connection with really varies. I think for me, for me, it's been, there's an organization called Project Let's and they're super trauma informed. And, you know, I identify as someone with a disability. And I think that that's a really safe place for someone like me for peer support. I mean, there is a database um, for the National Empowerment Center that has all of the peer organizations across different states. So I think that the, not to get too technical, but the government like run organizations that consolidate information about peer support and peer programs can be helpful. And that would be Doors to Wellbeing and the National Empowerment Center. Yeah. You can go online and look for local actual in live support groups too. And I know mm -hmm. those are really great. Like I've been a member of live like support groups and I've run seeking safety curriculum, which I mm -hmm. love. Like I love seeking safety. There are Facebook groups, but you have to be very careful. Just I would find one that's like highly moderated where you know the people who are moderating those groups will just cut someone out it is a safe group of people to go to and that 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 cut people out if they are if they share anything negative and most of the time i think most people i know go online will read a lot of stuff before they ever say anything and and the way that you see people respond on there tells you how safe a group is um on our website we have a group called inspire on our website inspire that's also a very highly moderated group that's also run by mha so I know that that's pretty good if you like a forum online space. It's kind of like Reddit. So don't be alone. Would you say that? Like definitely the worst thing we often do for ourselves is is isolate ourselves. So mm -hmm. if you're in this space, you know, I understand the desire to want to be like protect yourself by being alone and avoiding life. And there are people out there who do understand you who aren't going to be, you know, who can be healthy support people for you. For you. Yeah, I think to just like disclose what you want to and share what you want to over time as you're comfortable to like what Teresa was talking about going in and lurking on forums or in different spaces to just hear stories. Right. Same with like, uh, like I talked about being sober, like if you go to a 12 step meeting, you don't have to talk at all. So sometimes just being in those spaces and, and hearing other people can help you build that sense of community and safety without having to share anything about yourself at all. Thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Keep on fighting in the open. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Bye.